Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Well, good morning. It's good to be, uh, to be back with my family here at the Garden um, with all of the travels and everything. I'm working with a church up in Portland, so I'm up there a couple of times a a month, but I really miss uh, not being here when I'm I'm not here. Um, and so I was looking forward to being back here uh, this with you this morning, and um, particularly because the topic that was originally assigned to me uh, was um, uh, a life centered around and driven by uh, the Word of God, which is something I believe in very strongly and can talk uh, 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 about. And then uh, at the last minute, Darren pulled an audible, and decided to take that one himself a couple of weeks ago, and so I get a life on compassionate service about which I know nothing. Um, I, I believe in it. Uh, it's just that I'm, I'm not very good at it. Uh, it. It is something that is terrifying to me. As an introvert, as uh, uh, growing up in a kind of a, if I can use this language, kind of a white bread community uh, in southern Alberta, um, uh, compassionate ministry was for the downtown churches, and now I'm part of a downtown church. Um, so uh, this text has um, really uh, kind of drilled down into my soul this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to share the journey with me. Um, and if you're uh, bothered by some of what Jesus uh, is really calling us to, um, so, so am I, uh, and the implications of it are pretty, pretty stark and startling. Uh, Jude and I were actually talking about this over breakfast this morning, just thinking about, you know, the, the ladder climbing towards retirement, which is typical for persons of my age and season in life, and it just occurred to me over breakfast as I was working through this, I'm not sure I even get to do that. Uh, if that means separating from, if that means hoarding resources for, if that means isolating so that, right? Um, and, and of course, this has always been part of, the, part of the story of the garden, the life-driven call pressed into compassionate service. It's how we, as you know, those of you who have been around for a while have heard the story. Uh, we started off as a Long Beach project, identifying from Rock Harbor a few years ago a, a number of places that we could just begin to serve the city. Uh, and so we got involved with Precious Lambs. We got involved with uh, AIDS care and homeless ministries and various other things. Yesterday was but one small example uh, of of the continuation of that strand of DNA that is part of the garden. Um, it's one of the stories that I love to tell when I use the garden as illustration in my classes and various things is the ways in which we began um, not as here we are, come to us, but here you are, how can we serve you? Um, and that changes, by the way, that that dramatically changes how we do church. It's It's affected decisions all along the line as we've learned and, and stumbled and failed and tried to do it better and not done it always as well as we, we ought. And the truth, of course, is that it is, it is impossible to follow Jesus around for a while without noticing that every once in a while he's just bolting out of his seat, driven with compassion, moved with compassion, 
not to feel something for someone, but to do something for someone. Moving with compassion is not about feeling, it's for Jesus about healing. It's about moving to, to, to do something, right? Um, and Jesus, of course, always was strategic, uh, but not always was he strategic. Sometimes he was just moved with compassion. He saw a need in front of him and, and, and met it because of who he was, not always even because of what the need was. Um, and so this is, this is not surprising, you know, as we go back into the story of our creation, Genesis chapter 1, kind of an anchor verse for us. At the church here, uh, we are created to be God's image, and part of the functionality of that image is a mutual interdependence. We, we share life with one another, and as such, then, we care for the planet. Both elements are critical, right? Uh, so it, 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 it brings us to this horror, then, in Genesis chapter 3, probably the most um, and, and three and four are probably the most terrifying questions in the history of humankind. The first one occurs in Genesis 3 where God is, is looking for fellowship with us and we are hiding from him. And the question that still haunts me today and every once in a while forms the framework of my retreat days is where are you? Where are you? Where, where, what, has, what has become of you? God doesn't ask questions so he can gain information. He asked questions so that we can look in the mirror and see where we are, right? But then the second most terrifying question and the one that haunts us today that is a straight line from Genesis 4 to Las Vegas is the question that Cain asked. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you hear what has happened to the mutual interdependence that is necessary for us to be the image of God. In two chapters, we are now no longer our brother's keeper. We have themed our brothers. And as a result of that, that fragmentation, that, that disintegration of humanity at the, at the communal level governs so much of our economy, it governs so much of our ec economics overall, right, worldwide and, and individual, it governs uh, our, how we slice and dice our neighborhoods, I mean, and on and on and on and on and on the list goes. So it is not surprising that when Jesus shows up on the scene to set things right, because remember, God is at work to redeem and restore all things, all things to himself. It's not surprising then that when Jesus shows up on the scene and kind of gives his mission statement, he says this. Go ahead with the, the Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel news to the thems, the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he said, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He said to them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's not surprising 
when the problem that Jesus came to solve was our first, our separation from God, but then immediately following our separation from one another, that his mission announced from the center of who he was. Today, this mission is being fulfilled in your hearing involves going to the thems, going to those that we have, have, have ruled on the outside, the poor, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the, the, the sick, right? And so it's not surprising that as we who are disciples of Jesus follow him around, we find ourselves regularly in uncomfortable places with uncomfortable people doing things that make us uncomfortable. And it's tragic to me, speaking to myself, that I have become comfortable with the things that made Jesus uncomfortable and uncomfortable with the places at which he was comfortable. Last week we were talking in a, uh, about the prophetic ideas and words, right? The, the, the spirit of God speaking life, new life, words into our being and speaking life. And it, it's not for nothing that the majority of the ministry of the prophets in the New Testament and the Old were not directed to the church on behalf of the church, but to redirected to the church on behalf of the world. The prophets regularly drew attention to the ways that the people of God had isolated themselves from the broken in culture. So Jesus, and notice who he's quoting here. This is Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, who said, the fast that I'm looking for, 558, is a fast of service, not a fast of food. As valuable and good as important as that is, what I really need you to do is care for the people I care about that you don't care about. So it's not surprising, like I said, when we follow Jesus around, as he kind of embodies, fulfills the mission of God, the missio Dei, to reconcile and redeem all things, all people, all planets, all solar systems, all the universes, those that we see and don't see, all things gathered together again in Christ, reconciled to him. It's not surprising when we follow him around and then at the end of his journey, when we are impressed with the resurrection and terrified about what comes next, he says to us this. Go ahead to the next one. Jesus came to them. All authority in the heavens and on earth has been given to me. There's not a whole lot left. Did you notice that? Go therefore... And really, literally, this means as you are going, be making disciples of all nations, and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to immerse them into the reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then you can teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You'll notice that I changed some of the language here in a way that I think is common. We've talked about this text before, but let me just underline that Jesus is here, I believe, giving us a strategy to accomplish the making of disciples, not a script to say when we baptize somebody in water. I think we should say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We actually do say that. 
But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not saying, say these words. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to make disciples. I want you to immerse them, baptize them. That's what the word means. Into the name, into the reality, into the character, into the personality, into the culture of the Trinity. How does the Trinity operate within itself? I want you to immerse people in that. I want, there, I want there to be a four-seated table with Father, Son, and Spirit and an empty chair for them. I want you to invite them to the table of the fellowship of the Trinity. I want you to invite them by your relationship with them into a world of wonder, a world characterized by love, mutually interdependent love one for the other, this perichoresis, this wonderful word that, 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 that describes the, the, the preferential dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want you to immerse them in that world. How do you think he intends us to do that? By following his mission, by doing what he did. He says, when you do this as he did, then you earn the right to teach them how to live the way I've taught you how to live. Please notice, because we don't immerse them in the full reality of the Trinitarian universe, they are not interested in learning how to live the way we have been taught by Jesus how to live. And when we lead with preaching, when we lead with teaching, rather than with immersion in the full reality of the Trinitarian universe, it is not surprising that they don't have ears to hear because we have not prepared the way for the truth with love. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying to us, guys, I hope you were taking notes for the last three and a half years. There is a final exam, and this will be on it. Anybody wondering what the final exam looks like? Well, here's what it looks like. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When, when did we see you in sick or in prison and, and, and go visit you? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't look after me. 
And they will also answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is a uh, <clears throat> troubling passage. And uh, we need to, you know, exegetically just put it in frame. This is the kind of thing that teachers, rabbis would do in the first century. This is kind of a graphic novel approach. If you can imagine this, this kind of garish, almost movie poster, uh, extreme hyperbole. Um, the, the, the point that he's trying to make, however, is unmistakable. And the question, of course, is how do I avoid the punishment at the back end, whatever that means, whatever that looks like? And Jesus says, guys, that's the wrong question. If you're asking that question, you're already on the wrong side of the answer. It's not hard to avoid being a goat. Don't be a goat. Even, even, even a child can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. It's not rocket science. And, it, and it's not decided in the last three seconds on the way up to the separation. It's decided, if you will, it's marked by, it's the characteristic of sheep that make them sheep. They don't become sheep by not wanting to be goats. They become sheep because they are. So what's the strategy? And you know what it is. It's exactly what he told us to, to do, immerse people in the full reality of the Trinitarian universe. I came to the prisons. Guess where you ought to be going? I cared for the sick. Guess what you ought to do? It's not rocket science, which is good because otherwise we'd find a way to, to avoid it which we still do, at least me. Anybody else hearing this passage and wishing Jesus hadn't said this? <laughs> this is the category of things that I think I'd like to take out on the next version if that's a possibility. You know. here's, here's what he's getting at here, though. It's not, it's, it's, certainly it's the behavior. Certainly it's the, it's the action. It's the doing. It's the compassionate ministry. It's the compassionate service that he's after. This is what m marks you as a disciple of Jesus. It, it's what, it's what and, and of course, as no surprise, this is what marked the church in the first three, four hundred years before we became legal. It, before we were made the official religion of the Roman Empire by Constantine, this was the primary way by which the church was known. If, if, if you were, uh, if you had given birth to an unwanted child around the hills of Rome, that child would be exposed literally to die and forced often by, by husbands, by, by, by people in power who didn't want another mouth to feed. So women would be forced to abandon their babies. But if they ever wanted to know what became of their babies, they just found their way to the local church because the Christians would go around at night and collect the abandoned babies. 
The first hospital in Rome was founded by Christians. The first cemetery for the indigent was founded by Christians. Why? Well, it's, we're sheep. That's what sheep do. Bah! It's not we're trying to impress Jesus. Please notice, neither group recognized Jesus in those they served. Did you catch that? The distinct, because the goats would have served Jesus if they knew it was him. If only we knew. Hey, we would have been there all over that. We probably would have had a camera truck. Because this is a great photo op, and this needs to go on the resume. We need to projectize Jesus rather than personalize unthemming those to whom we are sent. Because did you notice? Whenever did we see you and not, said the goats. And Jesus said, inasmuch as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Whereas, what does he say? What does he say to the sheep? Do you remember? You did it, my brothers and sisters. That's the difference. The sheep recognize those in need as people to whom we are related by blood. Does this sound at all like Genesis 1 where we are all children of our Heavenly Father, where we need all persons to become the image of God that we are created to be, where we don't get to vote anybody off the island. This is why Jesus said, get used to it. The poor you will have with you always. Why? Because the socioeconomic structures will never get it right? No, because y'all need poor people like they need you. You see what I'm saying? He's inviting us into a radical reorganization of the economic structures of the solar system to keep it more in line with the structures of the kingdom of the heavens. When we pray, your kingdom come, this is what it looks like. Nobody has enough until everybody has enough. It is not supply my daily bread, it's supply our daily bread. If I have enough and you don't have enough, I need to keep praying that with my feet as well as with my mouth. I need to get engaged in compassionate ministry and service. And this is terrifying for me because I will always believe that I'm not going to be adequate. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to have enough resources. I don't know what to say if. I don't know what to do when. And I'm grateful for the heroes among us, for the folks who just are not intimidated by the need, who do not see people as problems to solve, but as mysteries to explore. I'm glad she's not here, but Alex is one of those heroes for me. Watched her years ago. A person came into our service, I think we were still at Cohiba. Pretty belligerent, 
angry. And Alex is not the most intimidating person physically on the planet. But she was a warrior moved with compassion. She repersonalized someone who I had already depersonalized. This was not a project. This was not a problem. This was a person created like me as part of the image of God. This was not a stranger. This was a sister who didn't know it yet, but Alex knew it. Do you see what I'm after here? And so Jesus invites us to, to kind of think, these are the markers of what it means for you to be my disciple. Anybody notice, by the way, there's not a hot sin on this list? That's just really annoying because we spend most of our time anxious about the sins of other people that we file in the category of hot sins. Why is it that we focus so intensely on those kinds of behaviors? And you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus, at the end, cares whether we have rearranged our economics enough to actually, he views money and what we do with it as a moral category of concern. And invites us, of course, to do the same. Have you? Got stuff? Cool. It's not yours. And and you know you know how this is. If you have a brother or sister, you would you would you would care for them. And this is what Jesus is saying. You didn't you didn't see me in those people, and it didn't matter to you. You weren't working on brownie points, you weren't working on steps. You were you were just doing what came naturally, moved with compassion, driven with compassion. You didn't do it for outcomes. You didn't do it for results. You didn't do it because it works. You did it because that's who you are. Jesus doesn't love us because it works. He loves us because he's a lover. Notice, this is really important to me, and I, I think to you all as well. He didn't, he didn't love sinners. He didn't hang out with sinners so they'd become saints. He hung out with sinners because he loved them. And they knew that, which created a safe space within which they could become saints. Amazing how that works. If, people, if you stop chasing, people stop running from you. Yeah? What if we view the world with embrace? I'm wondering if our if the attitude of the world toward the church would be different if we took Jesus seriously in this regard. Because you know survey after survey in in multiple places in the world, the attitude of the world towards the church is not, not really all that good. I wonder if it would be different if we had taken Jesus seriously. If when you were in need and had nobody else to care for you, 
you could go to the church at the corner of Fifth and Main and they would take care of you. In fact, you didn't have to go to them. They came to you. I wonder if your attitude towards the church would be different. And we're seeing that already playing out in the ways in which the garden is trying to, trying to do this. But I, I just want to say this is part of our DNA. This is part of who we are. This is how we're going to, we're, we continue to structure our financial uh, package. We're trying to find some ways to give more resources away uh, and, and, and to, 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 to move in these directions. This is why we regularly challenge you to give. Um, and why I think it's important that if you have a financial condition that disables your generosity, that you fix that by the grace of God. Plug into Financial Peace University, whatever it is, people that I've talked to and walk with, I'd love to be generous, but I'm in so much in debt. Well, then get out of debt. Let's work on this. This is a spiritual condition now. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses. Do you see what I'm after here? Jesus invites, and this is where this is starting to hit me, right? This is an invitation into a radical generosity that puts us at the edge, the leading edge of the kingdom of God. To be moved with compassion is not to be moved with sympathy. It's to be moved to action. So we pray, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to notice. Help us to see. And for those of us who feel that we don't have adequate resources, remember one of the secrets of the kingdom is you don't have resource until you need it. So as you step out, guess what you will discover available to you? resources to meet the needs that you step out to meet. They weren't available to you until you stepped out. If you're sitting at home waiting for a big pile of resource to drop into your living room so then you can be generous, ain't going to happen. But if you step out with the little bit you have, the five loaves, the two fish that you have, if you step out with that, guess what happens? Jesus has found somebody that he can trust to resource. He's capable of feeding thousands with your leftovers. And he invites us into that radical reorganization of life. It's possible to live profoundly, deeply, richly, and leave a smaller financial footprint than you thought possible. Dear God, help me. Help us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. To lean into this, not as a, 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 a push, but a, a draw, a pull. Oh God, shape my heart to be moved with compassion, not driven by fear. To be moved with love, not making judgments. To view the other as nothing more nor less than a brother, a sister. The Jesus in me ministering to the Jesus in them. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.